You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Team save percentage fades below the San Jose Sharks to currently rank dead last in the NHL. 32nd out of 32. At what point do you have to mercy fire Bruce Boudreaux? If their blue line was even marginally better, based on the way things have gone in the Pacific Division this year, they could be a playoff team. Playoffs? Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning to you. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford uh, and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintec Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason... Tell the people about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead at the Halbro Factory. I'll workshop that one. 6.30, Dave Randorf is going to join us. A familiar voice for here in Vancouver. Now the play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. The uh, Canucks, of course, are in action tonight in Tampa Bay. Four o'clock puck drop against the Lightning. Uh, in Tampa, we'll talk to Dorf about a team that is uh, is faring very well at the moment, including a 6-3 win over Columbus their last time out. This is the two-time Stanley Cup champions that made it to the Stanley Cup final last year. There's not a lot of great mysteries about the Tampa Bay Lightning. They're really good at hockey, and it's going to be another tough game for the Canucks tonight. I kind of disagree with you that there isn't any great mystery about the Tampa Bay Lightning because everyone always wonders how long can it last. That's true. Are they still in that echelon that they were a couple of years ago, or have they been surpassed in the East by a team like the Boston Bruins? And I would also ask Dave Randorf, you know, if if they get that Leafs team in the first round again, could he see it going a little bit differently this year? We can ask Dave Randorf all these questions at 6.30. He's going to join us to preview tonight's game. A reminder, 4 o'clock uh, from Tampa, it's the Canucks and the Lightning. 7 o'clock, Barclay Parnetta. He's going to join us on the program. He, of course, is the general manager of the Vancouver Giants. It's a big month for the Vancouver Giants. They've got a big home game coming up tomorrow against Spokane, 7.30 from the Langley Event Center. Also, Laddie, uh, you tweet no, you didn't tweet it. You sent it along to us in the text thread. A big development for the Kubota Prospects game that the Giants are hosting later this month. Do tell. Well, they announced the rosters, and the guy everyone was looking to see his name on the roster, Connor Bedard, he's going to be here. So you can get your tickets to see Connor Bedard in the Vancouver area one more time this year. Were, were people wondering if he might not make the top prospects game? Well, or? there's always like it could be an injury. No, we, we, we actually don't. We actually don't think you're very good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was the there was rumors on. he wouldn't make the cut. So yeah, we're are happy to see him on the list. Uh, that one's on January 25th, by the way. So it's a Correct. big month for the Giants. Barclay Parnetta will be joining us at seven o'clock to talk about all that. Seven thirty, Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff. We'll do our usual whip around with all the latest news and notes and rumblings as we inch closer. Closer and closer to the trade deadline. Maybe Frank has a JT Miller update for us. Maybe Frank has a Bo Horvat update for us. Who's to say? That's why you have to tune in. 7.30, Frank Saravalli is going to join us. 8 o'clock, it's Brendan Batchelor, the play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, he'll be on the call tonight when the Canucks take on the Lightning. It was an off day 
for the Canucks yesterday. So no practice, no media availabilities. So we'll wait and see what's going to happen uh, when they take to the ice for the pregame skate ahead of the game tonight. And we'll talk to Batch at 8 o'clock to break it all down. Uh, it is a busy night in the National Hockey League. Aside from the Canucks and Lightning at 4, 11 other NHL games. The Canadian team's in action. Montreal, who's playing terrible right now, just getting the doors blown off them. Uh, they're taking on Nashville and the red-hot UC Soros. Uh, Toronto, who won last night, they've got Detroit. Calgary's got St. Louis for the second consecutive game. Ottawa's got Arizona in the non-Canadian division. Maybe the game of the week, the surging Seattle Kraken are going to take on Boston. The red-hot Bruins, who are the best team in the NHL, and I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, the Kraken are having a crazy good road trip back east, so this was a very tough road trip on paper, but the Kraken are... Made uh, pretty quick work of, uh, of a few Canadian teams on mm-hmm. this road trip, so now we'll see what they can do against the Boston Bruins. Six NBA games, Chelsea and Fulham in Premier League action. Golf, the Sony Open. The only reason I'm mentioning that is because that docuseries is coming out, and I'm really intrigued by this, and we might talk about it a little bit later. But I know you're, you're not into the Sony Open? I don't even know where it is. It's in Hawaii. Cool. They always do two stops in Hawaii. They have the Tournament of Champions, which is at Kapalua, mm-hmm. and Colin Morikawa absolutely blew it I saw in that. the final round on Sunday, and John Rahm won. Mm-hmm. And then the Sony Open isn't – so that the, the first one is always the – like everyone who's won on the tour the year before, they get to play in the Tournament of Champions, which okay. kind of explains itself. And then the Sony Open is just kind of a regular tournament. Everyone gets a television. No, no, oh. they, they, they don't. They just get to go to Hawaii, and I watch it from rainy Vancouver and go, I wish I was in Hawaii. So that's the show. Guest list working in reverse. 8, Bachelor, 7.30, Sarah Valley. 7 o'clock, Parnetta. 6.30, Randorf. That's the show. Uh, that's what's coming up, though. We Now we need to tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. Uh, as I mentioned, off day for the Canucks yesterday. Nothing could possibly go wrong. There was nothing to be said. There was nothing to be done on the ice. It was the perfect day in Canuckland because they took the day off. But they needed that day off because this road trip, which we've kind of been previewing for the better part of a week, uh, has started in fair fashion. We knew this was going to be difficult. It has proven to be, Jason, incredibly difficult. There are good teams on the other side of the ice, all of them playing at home, and all of them scoring goals. Seemingly at will sometimes against the Canucks. So Drance had a piece that uh, suggested the Canucks might have just played the worst defensive game of any team in the NHL this season. Uh, Their game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, just based on all the crazy scoring chances that they allowed, all the high danger chances they allowed. Um, you know, the Penguins scored a lot of goals in that game, and I don't think anyone in their right mind, at least, was sitting there going, that was a goaltending thing. In right. fact, Kevin Woodley had some um, analytics that suggested that Spencer Martin, in fact, was better than that scoreline that he actually should have, according to the analytics, allowed one more goal than he actually did allow. So right. the Penguins should have scored more based on the analytics, and that's how bad the Canucks were defensively. And yesterday was kind of a, one of these, you know, and we're getting used to having these days, like this tee-off on the Canucks day. Sure. 
you know, there were takes coming from everywhere. My take was like, you know, when do they have to mercy fire Bruce Boudreaux? And I do think it's interesting that uh, the Canucks have scouting meetings coming up in Florida, or they're having them right now. Um, now, typically, these meetings are scouting meetings. So you've got the pro scouts delivering their reports. You've got the amateur scouts delivering theirs. And on the amateur side, obviously, you know, all the teams are starting to put together their lists for the draft in yep. June. Uh, it's in Nashville uh, this year. And it's nice that all the off-season scheduling is getting back to normal. Like the draft is at the end of June. And then, uh, you know, what, we have the typical, we fear change. typical, like change. Uh, typical off-season that we had, um, you know, before the pandemic. At any rate, I do wonder if the Canucks during these scouting meetings, since the the organization is going to be there, might also do a few separate meetings. Like going, yeah, 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 we got to take care of the scouting stuff, but what are we going to do, for example, with the coach? Like, what's the plan? And I'm not talking about just like, should we let Bruce Boudreaux go and stick Mike Yo behind the bench or the water drinking bird or, you know, rip the dog or whoever? All viable options. Could you see a scenario? And this is not an endorsement of this because I know a lot of people are like, just keep losing. Just keep hmm. getting better odds to get Connor Bedard. Just keep doing what you're doing. But could you see a scenario where this management group is like, hey, if we've identified a head coach that we like if that coach is available right now and we can hire that coach and he can start instilling his systems and his style on the team right now so you get a bit of a lead up to next season because how many times in the last few years have we seen the Canucks go into training camp and go, hey, we've got some things to work on structurally, system-wise. And then it's, I don't know, maybe it's just not enough time to instill those systems. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we saw it with Travis Green. We certainly saw it with Bruce Boudreaux this year. Yep. And then Jim Rutherford after was like, we had a terrible training camp. Yeah. Like, it just, it just didn't happen. So, not only would it allow the Canucks to bring in a new coach and a new system and new expectations – would it not also help the management group decide which guys can actually play in this system? Yeah. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, it's the NFL route. The NFL NFL teams What's waste the NFL route. They waste no time when it's when they're ready to get rid of a head coach and they realize that there's another coach out there that they want. Right? They'll pull the trigger with a handful of games left in the regular season. We saw it this year, right? You need if you have identified a guy that you want to bring in you have to be able to make the financial commitment to him. You have to give him the term that he wants. And you have to say, let's get you in the door as quickly as possible. Not just so you can get your program underway here, mm -hmm. but so other teams can't try and steal you from us. Right? I mean, that's why Jim Harbaugh is doing interviews with teams while the regular season's still on. I mean, it's, it's, um, it makes a lot of yeah, sense. Yeah, but that's right? a little different than what I'm suggesting. Because I'm no, suggesting but what you're you suggesting is, the general concept is, why wait? Why wait till the end of the year? Why not do it now? Yeah. If this season's a write-off, and by all accounts, it kind of is, why not get ahead of the game and avoid some of the mistakes that were made this season? So we're predictably getting a lot of texts into the Denver Lumber text line. No, we want to just keep tanking, or we do not want the coaching bump. Yeah, well, 
you're not the management group. You don't and, count. And it always comes back to the question, how important is next season? And I think until we hear something otherwise, this management group, this ownership group, this team as a whole is going to focus on getting better. And I just wonder if they're sitting there going, we got to bring in someone and we got we to gotta test this system. Wouldn't you want – let's say you were management mm-hmm. and you had no interest in tanking or you were being told we're not tanking and you guys better improve next season or there's going to be a tr- or there's going to be trouble. Wouldn't you want to bring in a coach right now and go, hey, let's test this guy out? I think it would be very – how many times have we had the conversation about like let's say it's Barry Trotz or whatever. Let's say. Um how many people have said the Canucks don't have the personnel to play the Barry Trot system? Wouldn't you want to get half a season of testing that theory out? Who is uh, who can play that system? I don't know. Wouldn't you want to test that out? Yeah. I, I, I just think, listen, I think there's going to be a coaching change, and I think it's going to come soon because I don't think that um, you can just keep putting Bruce Boudreaux in this position. I don't think it's a good look for the organization. And I don't, and, and as, and as much as I understand the sentiment and actually endorse the sentiment of keep losing games, I don't think this management group does. Um, okay. My, my one question would be, well, if you're going to do it now, why wouldn't you have done it a while ago? Why now? What's so fundamentally different about now other than, uh, a longer, slower build of frustration than before? Did you believe that in November or December, for example, when the, when the Canucks started awful, came back, won a handful of games, and then went out on that road trip where they lost in Toronto, Montreal, Boston, and then they ended the swing with a win in Buffalo. But I, I remember thinking, like, this is it. Well, the why do it was- now? I think, I think they thought things were going to turn around. Okay. He, li- listen, when Travis Green got fired, I had all my media sources in the run-up to that saying they're not firing Green. They're not going to do it. And you and I were talking about it on the air, and we were like, this can't continue. Mm -hmm. You cannot keep losing like this. And there were still some of my kind of guys that were like dialed in with the organization that were saying they they desperately do not want to fire Travis Green. But guess what? It got to the point where they had to. They had to make the move. Mm -hmm. What's going on right now, might be great for tanking. It's bad for the organization. So I, like, I'm just, it's I'm just bad keep, for the look of the organization. I'm just going to keep playing devil's advocate. For sure, my heart's. Not I agree. In. My heart's not. By in the it, way, but. hey, I just want to put it out there. I want the Canucks to lose. I want them to get closer to the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Mm-hmm. But I'm not management, and there are many things that I would have done differently than this management group. So until they start acting differently, I'm going to assume that they're going to keep acting the same way. Exactly. So my argument there would be, well, if they thought that they were able to turn around earlier in the season, at what point did they say, you know what, we're not going to be able to turn this around? Because I bet, I bet there's someone in that organization that's like, you know what, if we get Demko back healthy and we just tighten it up a little bit, you know, maybe we'll be able to write this ship to a certain degree. I mean, I that's, you know, we'll talk about this, I think, later in the show about what we are trying to understand about this team, what we've been granted in terms of access and availability, and then what message has been sent publicly. And we are left to do a lot of guessing. And doing the guessing game 
uh, becomes a very becomes a very curious event when there's this level of frustration among the participants, right? When you're trying to figure out what's at stake or what's at play or what the big term long picture plan is without having a lot of guidance, it becomes even more frustrating because you're frustrated with the product that's in front of you and then you're doubly frustrated at not knowing what direction it's going in. That's kind of where the collective is at with, I think, a lot of media. I think a lot of fans where people are saying, uh, is this some sort of pseudo tank that's going on? Are we hopeful that if we keep everything the same, the team will continue to lose? They're too good to do that eventually. Eventually, no, they'll win some games. No, they're not. They're not. You're, I disagree on that sentiment. That's too. fine. That's fine because you guys don't know what you're talking about. Anyone that thinks that they are as bad as the Chicago's and the Arizona's need to watch those teams play. Well, they're not as bad as those, but they're, they're, as, but, they're as bad as being 25th in the NHL. Yeah, and they'll probably get better when Demko gets back. They'll probably get up to 19th or 20th, or maybe they don't. But the point 19th being 19th or 20th? Yeah. Are you out of your mind? Why would they not be able to move up five spots in the standings? Because uh, they're because they're, they're a bad hockey team and they're in a bad way right now. Those are all bad hockey teams in the twenty and below. Okay. All I'm saying is, and again, as I continue to do this devil's advocate thing, we have no concept and no idea of exactly what the direction is for one particular reason, and it's something you always bring up. We have no idea how important next season is. That's okay, what I'm, all of this goes. To. I'm going to go around the room here. Okay, so the question is. Do you think the Canucks will fire Bruce Boudreau during the season? I'm going to say yes. Halford, what do you think? Devil's advocate, Halford. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think that? Do you, th- uh, do you think Bruce Boudreau? Just, just yeah. one word. Do you think they're going to fire him? I do. Okay, Andy. Do you think they're going to fire Bruce Boudreau? No. Okay, so you think Bruce is going to be the coach for the rest of the season? Yes. Okay, Laddie. I say yes. They do fire. You think they're going to fire? So Something. three out of four think they're going to fire him. Andy doesn't. I'd love to hear from I'd love to hear from the listeners on this, and not just like I think they're going to do it. Just give some sort of uh, some sort of reason in the text. Like, wh- take your take your opinion out of it, okay? Because we all know that <laughs> the Canucks fan base's opinion doesn't always match up with what management does. What do you think is going to happen? I will say the Canucks, though. Hold on, hold on a sec. The Canucks have their scouting meetings right now. So they're all in an organization together. They could, in theory, fire Bruce Boudreau after this road trip. You get home and say, listen, Bruce, this road trip was bad and we can't keep going on like this. Or they could wait to the All-Star break. The All-Star break's not that far away. Mm-hmm. That's when they could do it. So text into the Dunbar Lumber text line 650-650 with what you think is going to happen, not what you think. Because guess what? <laughs> what you think doesn't seem to matter. Because if what the fan base thought mattered, then the Canucks would be acting in a very different manner. I will say, even though I say no, I should have put an asterisk there because I want to say it's 60-40. Like, I think it's 40% chance he does get fired, and if that happens, then it's Mike Mike Yo that replaces him. I don't think they're going to hire or pay another coach out of the system. I, I just, I, I'd be surprised if they did. Um, not to say it's impossible, but I think if they were to remove Boudreaux, it would just be Yo that steps up for the remainder of the year, just as an, in an interim basis, and then they get their new guy in the offseason, if, yeah. it, if it happens. I think there's a lot of people texting. Well, I know there's a lot of people texting in and saying exactly what you said, that this is a money issue, and that's why they won't fire Bruce, because yeah. that way, 
if they did fire Bruce Boudreaux, they'd be paying Travis Green still. They'd yeah. be paying Bruce Boudreaux, and they'd be paying whoever the new coach is. But how much are they really going to have to pay the new coach to coach, I don't know, 30 games of the season? Yeah, but they would want him long-term, you would assume. If they hire a new guy, they'd want him to stick around for a while. Well, yeah. that's a great question. So, so I, They're I, not just going to hire a guy so for 30 games. <laughs> I, I just wonder, though, like, I guess what I wonder is, does it get to a point where even ownership is like, listen, I don't want to pay a third guy. But I didn't want to tra- fire Travis Green. And it eventually got so bad that it had to happen. Yeah, it could happen on this road trip. I mean, look at what they're look at how daunting just this weekend is gonna be, right? You I mean, and I'm counting today. Like let's just say everybody's working for the weekend. It starts tonight. Um, you've got Tampa Bay and then you've got Florida Carolina back to back over that weekend. Again, coming off a couple of performances where you can't keep the puck out of your net with no regularity whatsoever. And you're th- right now. They're they are under siege, honestly, because there's no real great answer that Boudreaux can give them in goal. I think some people thought that Delia, after a couple nice performances, was going to be able to outperform Spencer Martin, and that hasn't been the case, at least in a small sample size. Um, and you're talking about right now, especially of that Pittsburgh game. Players, coaches, everyone just talking about being overwhelmed by the opposition's talent. Like when the wave comes or when the scoring chances start to happen, we didn't really have an answer for it. Well, guess what? Now you've got a bunch of other really good teams lined up. Uh, And in the case of Florida, hungry. In the case of Carolina, kind of slumping a bit and looking to turn in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And teams that have the talent to kind of avalanche on top of you, cave you in, those sorts of things. So, you know, usually coach dismissals happen. When there is a successive run of really poor results and really bad on-ice product where the management of the ownership says, okay, we can't keep trotting this out the way that it looks. And this is one of those stretches where you could conceivably have that happen. So we might be going around in circles here, but there's a lot of people texting in with, you know, I think they're going to fire him or I don't think they're going to fire him. Um, And here's again, why would they, this, this is a text, why would they fire him? When he's up at the end of the year. Well, we went through it to get in a new coach to prepare for next season. So you're not just leaving it on a very short training camp in some preseason games to bring in a new structure for a team that watch these guys play. Like this is not a couple of tweaks that this new head coach is going to have to bring in. He is going to have to teach them how to play defense. And I'm sure management... As much as at the end of the, you know, in the back of their minds, they're like, this is probably good if we get closer and closer to the Connor Bedard mm-hmm. lottery. If next season matters and if their marching orders from ownership are still do whatever you have to do to put together a winning team to try and make the playoffs, if those marching orders remain the same, then they're going to look at this half season. Again, there's half a season to go. There's like well, yeah. 40 games to go. Yeah. As a warm up for next season, bring in a new coach, teach this team how to play. It's not going to happen overnight. So get a running start. So that's the question. Like, or that's the answer to the question of why do it now? Mm-hmm. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying it's possible that it could happen. Can we all just, uh, like, just grasp for a moment how crappy this conversation is and that we have to have it? Right? It's awful. It is, is a this terrible season, scenario this, this season. This season has been a total waste of time. 
Total waste. I remember of time. I was so excited in the it's offseason. Total waste of time. Well, unless they Bright get, unless they get Bedard, then it won't be unless a waste they of get time. Bedard. Yes. But then you've got to say, what the hell happened? That you went into a season where your coach said that not making the playoffs was a disaster, and the end result of that season was that you were in the draft lottery. Well, even worse, I think, is um, you go into the season going, we need to be more structured, and I think they're less structured. I think they. I think they're worse. I think they're worse defensively than they were last season. Do you remember last season when we were talking about the penalty kill? And it was like, well, it would be hard to be worse than that. I think they're worse. They're, they're not better. And no. it was disaster. I, I can't remember what percentage they, they finished at last season in terms of their PK. Mm-hmm. Well, but and, they're no better well, you than know what, they were. What's funny about this year, I think, is it's not the numbers so much as it is the eye test and the anecdotal stuff because – Demko probably covered up, I don't know, whatever percentage point you want to put on it, he probably covered up so many glaring defensive errors that never ended up in the back of the net, and then we just kind of glossed over it, in large part because there was the romanticism behind the Boudreaux bump and everything. But, like, one big fundamental part of this year is that (laughs) the goaltending has not bailed the Canucks out on, I think, any occasion. Mm-hmm. You've never had one of those games where it's like, ah, you know, Myers had a couple pizzas right up the middle and OEL turned right when he should have turned left and that turned into a breakaway. <laughs> but it was okay because Demko made 37 saves and the Canucks won 5-1. That has not happened this year. Like, there's, there are countless, countless video examples of a guy making a bad play, a bad decision, and making a bad puck management move and it ending up right in the back of the net. Yeah, There are countless of them. Every defenseman's had one or two on their highlight reel. But you're basically saying because they didn't get miraculous goaltending. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dave Randorf is going to join us next to talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Canucks' opponent tonight as they finish off this road trip with three tough games in four nights. Tampa Bay tonight, Florida on Saturday, and Carolina on Sunday, after which they come home and, I don't know, who knows what's going to happen then. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Hagel, right side, curls back, feeds the late man, Chernak down low, tip, scores! Nikita Kucherov opens the scoring. 6.32 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. That man on the call you just heard, Dave Randorf, he's going to join us in just a second here. That player he was talking about, Nikita Kucherov, 59 points in 39 games this season. That's decent offensive production. Uh, he and the Tampa Bay Lightning will be hosting the Vancouver Canucks tonight. Four o'clock our time is the puck drop. This next guest will be on the call. Joining us now, as mentioned, happy to have him on the program, uh, Dave Randorf here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Good morning, Mike, Jason, Halford and Bruff. Do, do, is it Mike and Jason or is it just Halford and Bruff? Which one do you guys prefer? Whatever you prefer. We, we don't. Okay. Well, as long as my name's first, yeah. that's the important thing. Idiot okay. one and idiot two talking about the Vancouver Canucks every day. <laughs> well, so. thanks for having me on, boys. Yeah. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Dave, tell us about the Tampa Bay Lightning. Is there anything new with the Lightning or are they still just a good team that might go to the Stanley Cup Finals again this season. Like, is there anything, like, what's what's new with you guys? Are, are you guys getting bored of winning there? What's going on? Yeah, honestly, it is, uh, it's quite a run this team's been on for, 
you know, the better part of a decade now. I mean, they've, they've been they've been an elite team for a long time. They've had a core intact for a long time. And even when they lose significant pieces, as they did last offseason, and Ryan McDonough, a very important piece on and off the ice along that blue line, going to Nashville because they just, you know, just like everybody else, their salary cap crunches. And Andre Palat was another very, very significant piece to that, this whole run of success as well. And he signed a deal to go to New Jersey. And, and there's been other defections as well for different reasons. Luke Shen being a guy, you know, that, that was an important part here uh, as well, two-time Stanley Cup champion. So yet they continue to they continue to maintain the core is still, the main core is still intact. And by main core, I'm talking Hedman and Stamkos. The standard is set with those two guys. It starts there. And then, of course, you just mentioned Nikita Kucherov, a spectacular player, you know, night in, night out. And uh, Andre Vasilevsky, who's, if you look at his numbers right now, they're not as elite as they normally are. But, you know, again, I see this guy night in, night out. And uh, at times, the team has not played that well in front of him. Uh, well, actually, more than a few times this season. And he still pulled it out, pulled out points, either one or two points. And then he's still, you know, one of the top goalies, if not the top two or three in, in the league. And, and there's no team that wants to face him in a playoff series, you know, come springtime. So, it's a it's a very fortunate run the fan base has here. Uh, it's a, it's a fun team and entertaining team to watch night in night out, and they've got designs on going deep again, guys. Uh, I think they will make uh, a move to address their depth. Uh, certainly the forward ranks, uh, probably maybe there and the defense as well, but uh, the forward depth is is definitely looking like an issue right now. Uh, they're not going to catch Boston in the Atlantic Division. Boston's on just a different level from everybody, and the Leafs have been good as well. But the Lightning don't care about finishing first. They just care about being comfortably in a playoff spot, you know, when the dog days really start to hit in February and March before you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, and that's, what the, that's what they're trying to do. And, you know, so far, so good. They're, they're comfortably in a spot right now, but they have to maintain. And they plan on doing that again tonight against the Canucks. What when you talk about forward depth, is there anything more specific? Like, do they need more scoring? Do they need some penalty killers? What kind of forward? If if you, if you had your druthers, what kind of forward would they add? Probably a little bit more youth and speed uh, up and down that lineup, and some more scoring touch. Last year they had a, a fourth line that you know, Pat Maroon coined it the school bus line because they're big and not very fast. Well, they're they're even a little slower this year. Last year they, the line of Pierre-Edouard Belmar, Pat Maroon, and Corey Perry was probably the only line that stayed intact all of last season. Uh, and John Cooper tinkers a lot, but that one stayed intact and combined for 39 goals. For a third line, or, or sorry, for a fourth line, is that's, that's very good. Corey Perry, who everybody thought was done, had 19 goals and could have easily had 25. He missed a boatload of chances. Uh, this year, the offense, they're, they're going to come nowhere near that that number of 39 goals. In fact, they don't really play that much together anymore because, to be quite honest, I don't think they can. I think they've had to spread it out a little bit in terms of uh, just injecting a little bit more speed onto uh, the third and fourth lines. And and the offense has just not come. They, they're they still serviceable guys. Pierre-Edouard Belmar is a key penalty killer for them. He can win face-offs. Maroon is loved uh, you know, as a real a guy who brings some toughness. He's fought six times, and he can still get up and down the ice a little bit and, and, and intimidate. Uh, and Corey Perry, I think by his own admission, would probably be disappointed with his uh, his nine points right now. Um, he hasn't been generating nearly as much as he did last year, and I don't know why that is, but because uh, there's no you know fight lessened in that dog, that's for sure. But it just hasn't gone his way. 
so I think they would like to inject a little bit more uh, experience and scoring and, and certainly speed uh, because their top two lines are pretty good. Um, you know, when you talk about all the stars they have there, there with Kucherov and Stamkos and Point and Nick Paul is on, you know, one away from a career high on, in goals for him. Ross Colton chips in as well. Uh, Alex Colon is always is still a very dependable forward who's been here a long time, but still, uh, you know, scores clutch goals at clutch times and is a heavy player. Uh, but depth up front is going to be something that I'm sure will be addressed prior to the trade deadline. Hey, Dave, I'm looking at uh, Tampa's schedule here, and I've noticed that they have been taking care of business against the teams that they should beat. They've had wins over Montreal and Arizona and Chicago and most recently the Columbus Blue Jackets, four of the worst teams in the NHL. Well, another team in the Vancouver Canucks, uh, which is struggling and is very unlikely to make the playoffs. In fact, they're probably closer to drafting Connor Bedard than they are to making the playoffs. Is it challenging for the Lightning to get up for games like this? Like, it's a midweek game against the Vancouver Canucks. Um, You know, everyone knows that this team is going to be judged in the postseason and not based on a game against, you know, a non-playoff team during the regular season. Is it hard for the Lightning to do this on a regular basis? And do they occasionally have little slip-ups where they, for whatever reason, don't show up in games? Do they do that occasionally? Yes, they do. Uh, but do they do that on a regular basis where I think it's a problem? Not at all. Yeah. And that's one a piece of the, the puzzle and, and a big reason for the success here is, as I mentioned, you know, culture and the standard, those are maybe sports cliches and thrown around a lot, but it's a real thing here with the Tampa Bay Lightning. It really is. And I, I mentioned that it begins at the top with Stamkos and Hedman about what they expect night in, night out. And they often don't, you know, mess up. And, and they're, they're, not, um, they're not apathetic with all the success that they've had and bored with the regular season and just bring on the playoffs. This group truly is, is not that because they realize you've got to get there first. And that mantra is repeated constantly by their head coach, John Cooper. Um, you know, you've got to get to the playoffs first before you can really turn it up. Uh, they have played 71 games, guys, in the last three playoff seasons. And that's not even three years. Because remember, the, the whole COVID calendar got in the way there. So that's, that's an extra season almost in less than a three-year span that they've played. The most by any team in a three-year postseason span in NHL history. So there's, there's mental fatigue there. There's some physical fatigue, more mental than physical at, at times. But I think they're kind of over that now. One issue that they have right now is that they're very good at home. Second best home team in the league, as a matter of fact, and average on the road. And uh, that's something that's going to need to be addressed. And, and you just looked at their schedule. they got a five-game road trip coming up out west. It's going to take them through Vancouver. In fact, I think their first game in Vancouver is Vancouver's first game back after their road trip. Yep, you're so, right. And you, know, and you know how those ones go sometimes mm-hmm. in Vancouver. Um, well, well a lot of home games are problematic in Vancouver. Yes, games. I still pay attention to the Canucks. <laughs> I'm up on what's going on there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, during this six-game stretch where they've got one win, they're averaging, I think, four and a half goals against, and the Lightning are scoring almost four and a half goals a game and during an eight-game home win streak. So, you know, it's, it's, it's tough sledding for them tonight, for sure. But to answer your initial question, no, I don't think this team is, is – they're, they're still hungry. They still recognize the yeah. window is open for them, and they just got to get in. And, uh, and then they, they know how to win. They know how to shut down games, close out games, They've got clutch performers, guys who have been there, done that, who are still motivated to do it again. You know, last year in the final, 
I think we all agree Colorado was the better team. They mm-hmm. were very good all season long and, and finished it off. In fact, they won here in Tampa in game six. But but remember this, four of those six games were one-goal games. Two of them went to overtime, and the Lightning didn't have Braden Point, you know, one of the most clutch playoff performers they've ever had. And, you know, he was out there for a couple of games, and he was 50, maybe 50%. You can't tell me he wouldn't have turned one of those games at least. And so the bottom line is the Lightning almost did it again. Uh, and they are not to be, you know, underestimated again once they get into the playoffs. Uh, the S Boston's very – there's a lot of very good teams. Carolina's very good. Boston is really good. The Leafs are good. Uh, but uh, this team feels they can uh, position themselves to do it again, and they're not bored, and they're not any less hungry. Do you think part of the key to being not bored is to appreciate and have gratitude for the special situation that they're in? Like, not many no players, not not many get players get to play on a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I feel like that's something that John Cooper likes to remind them of, or even just reminds himself of, like what we've got going right now is really special. So yeah, maybe we're not going to feel the excitement of the Stanley Cup Finals when we host Vancouver on a Thursday night at home, but we need to appreciate and feel like genuine gratitude for the situation that we're in because most people don't get to enjoy that. You know, I'm going to try and briefly paint a picture of what hockey is like here. And uh, because you guys know I'm from Vancouver, I'm well aware of the, all the Canadian markets and the difference between the two. Um, it is. It starts from their success really starts from the top down and the inside out. And I, I begin with the owner here. He is he is an unbelievable philanthropist who gives back to the community. He gives away fifty thousand dollars every single night, and that's cranked up to a hundred grand for a community hero. He's built up the whole area in the downtown area around the rink, which used to have nothing around it but park, parking lots. He gives back to the community. I see way more lightning license plates and car flags and, and flags on homes than I see bucks or rays, and that's, that's not an exaggeration. This town has embraced uh, this, this team because they recognize how much the organization gives back into the community. I know a lot of teams do that. I'm not saying they're the only ones that do but it is a meaningful commitment here. And they are repaid with a night-in, night-out, sold-out atmosphere. And you say it won't be a Stanley Cup final atmosphere here tonight. Well, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be a good atmosphere. This is a great place to see a game. You'll see it on TV tonight when you're watching John and John and the boys and, and hearing on the radio as well that, uh, you know, it's, it's a vibrant, electric atmosphere. And I think the players feed off of that and do appreciate it. Uh, and, uh, and again, I think they also look around and recognize what you just said, and that this is a very special situation that they are in, and guys that come in are aware of that immediately. Like when Brandon Hagel came in and when Nick Paul came in, and players before them, they, they recognize this is a special room. It's inclusive, by the way. It's not a cliquey room, and, and they know that they are joining something special. So that just, you know, from the ground up, that just builds it up even more. So I do think um, this, they, they all are, are very aware of how special this is. And, and one last thing I'll point out, and this is not a shot, it's just a reality. There's a lot less media nitpicking and criticism. And, uh, you know, you know what we're referring to. I, I, I've lived mm-hmm. in Vancouver. I know what it's like there. And I know what it's like in a lot of Canadian markets where it's just the pressure. I'm not saying there's no pressure to win. That, that they all want to win and they do win, as you can see. But it's just not a constant drumbeat of, oh, my God, and fire this guy and trade that guy. And, and it, they just let the team do its business. And right now, business is good. 
You know, we were down there in 2015 for the Stanley Cup final, although we spent most of our time in Ybor City. But that's an entirely different thing. Um, uh, uh, you know, call me up, boys. I'll give you a better place to go than that. It, we were younger back then. It was a lot more fun. Okay. But, but regardless, um, I, the one thing I do distinctly remember about covering the team and being on site is how much appreciation and acknowledgement that ownership got. That Jeff Vinnick was seen as maybe the quintessential perfect owner because he would say things like I'm not a hockey guy I hire hockey people in that time it was Steve Iserman and then the lineage went from Iserman to Breezeball but there's always that understanding that um, he did a ton for the community a ton for the team but was never meddlesome to the point of where we see in other industries with other owners and other different leagues and what have you. And it's easier to be that way when you have success. That's true. But he, there was a real acknowledgement. I just remember this distinctly where it was like, I don't know hockey like the hockey people I hire, but I know how to hire the best hockey people. And it was an interesting dynamic, but you're seeing it play out because as you said, this team's been really good for the better part of a decade. Yeah. Yeah. They've been to multiple Stanley Cup finals. They won it uh, twice during this run. They've got three Stanley Cups as a franchise in the, in, the, in the time where not one of the Canadian teams has won it once. Mm-hmm. And so people say, oh, is it a hockey town? <laughs> yes. Yes, it's a hockey town. And it really is. They're knowledgeable here, and they've had a lot of success. But, you know, Mr. Vinnick, uh, you know, I can't overstate it, uh, what a great person he is for this community. And a really nice man, too. Uh, you know, when I got the job, it's funny, I was in the team store. It was like the second day I was here. And it was a whirlwind time. It was in the middle of coming out of the COVID fog, and we're starting in January. And I was in the team store getting stuff for my sons. And the phone rang, and it's Mr. Vinnick. And he introduces himself like, hello, Dave. Uh, this is uh, My name's Jeff Vinnick. I'm, I'm the owner of the team. And I <laughs> said, yes, Mr. Vinnick, I'm, I'm aware of who you are. Yes, hello there. And he just welcomed me. Like, and this is how he treats everybody, you know, not just the guy who's the, calling the games on TV. This is how they treat everybody in the organization, top to bottom. And uh, I've told this story to other guys that do what I do in the league, and they say they've never even met the owner, and they've been there 10 years. <laughs> so that's just his touch, yet you are exactly right. He does not uh, – you know, he's kept abreast of what's going on, but he doesn't call up Julian Breezebois or Steve Griggs, the CEO, and say, what the hell are you guys doing? He lets people do their jobs, and, and uh, that breeds confidence and success from within. And that's how we started this conversation. I've seen it now up close for three – it's my third season here – and I truly believe the success that uh, we all see and enjoy for an entertaining hockey product uh, on the television, on the ice, starts from the inside and, and works its way out. And, and, and it really, uh, it, it, yeah, it, it perpetuates itself that way. Dave, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Have a good call tonight. Enjoy the game. And I got a feeling we'll probably be doing this closer to the playoffs when the Lightning are, you know, in the playoffs. Okay, well, I would love to, and I will start making a list of uh, other places for you guys to sample when uh, next time you come down to Tampa. Okay? <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Sounds bud. Good, Appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. All right, boys. Thanks for having me on. Yep, thank you. That's Dave Randorf, play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, so we got a bunch of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line following our conversation about what the Canucks are going to do with their head coach this season. And we went around the room and said, do you think Bruce is going to get fired partway through the season? It was three out of four. Yes. Andy was the dissenter that thinks that Bruce is going to survive. Boo, Andy. The entire season. You're the worst. 
Well, and listen. But I also said it was like 60-40. I wasn't like, no, he's not getting fired. I was like, okay, you're already backtracking. No, I'm saying there's there's the reason for my my decision. And, And listen. For if you're just joining us, this is not an endorsement of making a coaching change right now, because I think Halford and I are kind of on like team. I don't know, want to call it tank team, Connor Bedard, whatever you want to do. I'm on team. Eh. No, I'm on team. When it please comes to coaching, get better odds for Connor Bedard. When it comes to coaching, uh, I I don't know, Jason. Honestly, I don't I don't know. <laughs> well, you never know. No, you don't know either. We yeah, but I'm, I, make it, I make it sound better. You said that you think management is going to make a coaching yeah. change. Well, but that might differ from what you actually think should happen behind the bench because there's 18 different reasons to do it and there's 18 different reasons well, not to do it. there's a list of 10,000 things that I would have done differently than right, this Right, but we're just talking about the group. coaching part of it. So it's always very tough to um, have these conversations because there's this, this category over here on, on one side of me, which is things that I think they should do. Yes. But we also have to do uh, shows based on what I think they will do, right? And until the Canucks change their philosophy and their actions um, suggest that they're going to, for example, lean into losing and not fight um, like they're in quicksand and by fighting in quicksand, they make it worse and mm-hmm. they get even deeper into the quicksand, which is exactly what has happened in the last few years. But I, I digress and let's bring it back to the coaching conversation because there's a text in here. It's unsigned. It said the idea of hiring a new coach to prepare for next season is predicated on the notion that there is a coach that management has identified who fits with that strategy outside of Barry Trotz? Who else is out there and is willing and available to come in for the last thirty games? His name is Rick Tockett, mm-hmm. and if you've been listening to Rick Dollywall, he's saying that's the name he's hearing more and more. And Rick actually doesn't think that it'll be Barry Trotz because I don't know if you guys have heard this, but Rick sometimes speaks with agents. No, I haven't heard that. Sometimes, occasionally, uh, he'll reach out to an agent. Once in a blue moon. Or an agent will reach out to him. Doesn't sound like the Rick. And I, I think it was interesting that he shared the fact that uh, Bruce Boudreau and Barry Trotz share the same agent. Do you think Bruce has great words about the Vancouver Canucks organization that he would pass along to that agent? No. That he would say, so Barry Trotz would go, hey, do you, do you know anyone that's worked for the Canucks and did they like it? So, so, so just, just bear with me because I want to get to the Rick Tockett thing. Rick Tockett has obviously has a history with Jim Rutherford. He was an assistant coach in Pittsburgh. He was the Phil Kessel whisperer. And then he goes to Arizona. And did he have crazy amounts of success in Arizona? No, not really. But have you seen that team that he had? He had them playing a very responsible defensive system. Yep. Does that sound like something that the ownership group would want to bring in? The management sure. group would want to bring in a coach that can teach the team defense, can teach the team structure, and maybe a guy like Rick Tockett that has the personality to scare the hell out of some of these players, to take control of that room. To me, there's a lot that checks off on Rick Tockett. I don't disagree with that theory in the slightest. I think there's a lot of merit to it. I also think that Tockett's history from Pittsburgh with Rutherford and Alvin dovetails nicely into this conversation. I think that it might actually be a blessing that the rumored Tockett, Oliver Ekman-Larsen, Discord disconnect 
from their time in Arizona could ultimately mean either all or Ekman Larson gets less playing time or maybe he's gone in the summer. Anyway, point being, I get what you're saying. I really do. There are so many different pushbacks on it that it kind of underscores what we're saying here is that I don't know how much uh, value and importance they have on this season, and I really don't know how much they have on next season because all of these things that we're pointing out right now, they all feed back into that same commonality, that same theme. These circular conversations that we're having, whether you fire the coach, do you bring in Mike Yo, do you bring in a new guy, do you get ready for next season? What happens if next season isn't that important? What happens if next season is also a punt season but, and management knows it because they're in salary cap hell? Does it make any sense? But then we get into the concept, does it make any sense to do anything? Do you just keep playing out the string? Because they have fundamental... Like, here's, here's a question. If Life are, has no meaning. It is empty. A, a, a vessel <laughs> that has got a void. But honestly, here's another question that you have to ask. If you were to bring in a coach right now, and he wanted to implement a new style of play, does he even have the players to do it? Can you hand him this bag of crappy groceries and say, make me a good meal? The, the blue line is currently constructed is bad. Like, I'm not sure that there's a defensive whisperer out there, although maybe it was Bradshaw last year, who will be able to manifest it into anything better than a mediocre unit. Yeah. The ceiling for that group. Well, they're going to make changes, Mike. Yes, but that's they are going to make changes. But then, if like they, Myers won't, I, I, okay. I, I don't think Myers will be back next so year. They might if, be stuck with Ekman so, Larson. So now you're going down the road that I might where my my mind grapes are at again with the mind grapes. If you're going to make changes and the group's going to look different, then maybe that's the time that you bring in a coach. Maybe, maybe this year is well, maybe just, you want his input on who to keep and who to let go. Possibly, or maybe this year is just play out the string. I don't know. But that's the kind of conversation. Maybe you that, want to bring Talkin in right now to help convince OEL to leave. Well, that's that's a possibility. <laughs> they don't get along, right? OEL could be like, you know what? I will like to revisit the whole trade thing. Good luck finding me a partner, but I'll revisit it. But, you know, this is where we're at, unfortunately, for the Vancouver Canucks. Because, you know, in a different world, a better world, we would be talking about tonight's game. What a great measuring stick for this team. They're going up against the two-time Stanley Cup champions, defending Eastern Conference champions who lost to the Colorado Avalanche uh-huh. in the Stanley Cup final a year ago. To be honest, this last... This is a real measuring stick road trip. The last, honestly, <laughs> right? The, this last swing would have been you got to see Colorado, although Colorado is a shell of itself right now, yeah. and Tampa Bay. But it, none of this means, like, squat. Have the Canucks beaten a team that is in good form this season? Like, when they beat Pittsburgh... At home, Pittsburgh was in a bad way. Right. When they beat Colorado, and there were a few voices in the market going, wow, what a great win. We're going down the road. They were not in a good good form then. The old signature victory um, conversation. Anyway, let's not not do that. Well, no, they had a win against L.A. (laughs) They had a a win against L.A., which was decent. Yeah. It was a 4-1 win at home. Was in L.A. in good form then? Um, They were fine. Okay, the they, Vegas, they, they beat the, a team that was in fine form. Yeah, the Vegas. I mean, I'm not trying to say that any okay. of these victories have been especially good. Right? We got to get. We they beat the get... Kraken in December. That was tough to okay. do. Okay. Are you done? You asked the question. I'm answering it. Barkley Parnetta. That's true. Yeah. My bad. General manager of the Vancouver Giants is going to join us. That's why I'm pushing you forward here. Talk about some of the crazy trades 
that have been made in junior hockey and the WHL and by, and by the Vancouver Giants. Mm-hmm. Coming up next on the Halford and Brush Show on Sportsnet 650.